You're listening to Her Hacks Podcast, a podcast by women in cybersecurity for everyone. I'm Rebecca. I'm Lauren. And I'm Christine. Welcome back to our interviewing mini series. In today's Her Hack, we're going to walk through the entire technical interviewing process for a technical role. By the end of this episode, you should know the different types of interviews given, know how to prepare for them, and learn how to shine on interview day. So to kick things off, what has been everybody's experience or history with technical interviewing? For example, my background, I started out, I did a technical interview for an internship that was a pretty easy, straightforward technical programming interview. That internship transitioned into a full-time offer. So I didn't actually start technical interviewing again as the interviewee until later on in my career. And <laughs> when I got back out there, I was very rusty and I definitely found that I needed to practice my skills more because they did not go so great. But I brushed up on my interviewing skills and then I started interviewing more seriously. And then from the interviewer side, I have shadowed and co-interviewed a bunch of different technical interviews for new team members. Yeah, Lauren. So I also interviewed for an internship in college. I did like an entry-level Um, Security Operations Center or SOC position interview. And I've done some presentation interviews where I had to present to in a multi-stage panel. I've also had to work with recruiters and I've been asked like off the cuff technical questions before they would even give me a phone screen. And I've also been a technical lead on multiple interviews um, for prospective candidates at various companies that I've worked for. Yeah, I honestly have had pretty similar experiences to both of you. I have given interviews, I've been the interviewee, and I've even done take-home coding and binary reversing challenges for an interview. So I think between the three of us, we have tons of experience across the entire range of different types of interviews that you might have to do. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think we, it sounds like we are more than prepared to give advice on technical interviewing. And it seems like we've kind of covered the full range. So I'm really excited to talk about the interviewing process in today's episode. Absolutely. And before we get into some of the meat of this, let's do a little bit of an overview of the process. So each company conducts interviews differently, but generally technical interviews consist of several different rounds and you have to pass each round to move on to the next. First, we'll explain what the different components of the process are at a high level, and then we'll dive into ways to prepare. We will review the phone screen, technical screen, take-home assessments, whiteboarding, the behavioral interview, and the technical interview, which could be a panel or a one-on-one. You should receive a schedule beforehand of the different interviews you have and what type they are. So let's talk preparing for the screening interviews. You should never go into an interview without knowing what type of interview it is or what's going to be expected of you. But sometimes it is hard to know. So you can actually use some OSINT. Open source intelligence. (laughs) So you can actually use OSINT to figure out what the company's interview process is. We already went over how to look for a company, understand the culture, salary, and fit on some of these websites. But using these websites will also help you figure out what the interview process looks like. Google, Glassdoor, and Blind are great places to figure out what specific questions are asked for your niche of computer science or for that role at that company. They'll also give you an idea of what the tech stack is that the company uses and what the interview process is, whether there's a phone screen, 
multiple rounds of panel interviews, or tons of one-on-ones. It'll also mention commonly asked questions and role expectations so that you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. And if you can't find something on the internet, just ask your recruiter. You can say, hey, what type of questions do you think that they're going to ask me in my interview? And usually they'll give you an idea of, is this a behavioral interview or is it a technical interview? Yeah, I cannot stress enough how important it is to know what you're going into and to do this preparation because you could come in preparing for one tech stack and then you might get into the interview and they say, oh, sorry, you can't use that. So I think this is such great advice, Christine. Like this is to me starting at like one of the most important places. In general, I found that phone screens are normally behavioral, so it's used to gauge whether or not you're interested in the company as a candidate, and maybe they'll talk to you about a couple of different roles to figure out where you fit best. But sometimes I've also been in a informal phone screen where I've suddenly gotten asked an off-the-cuff technical question. Mm-hmm. So it's important when you're starting to prepare for interviews to be ready for technical questions at any time. Uh, Just because depending on who you're talking to, if it's a recruiter, they probably won't ask you something technical. But if it's the hiring manager, they might just like throw something in there. Yeah. And honestly, not to contradict what you just said, Christine, but also to kind of add to it. I've had a recruiter ask me a series of like really basic technical questions just to make sure that they would even like just to not waste the company's time and even phone screening me in the first place. So that that's happened to me before. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had one phone screener and I won't say who it was with, but it was with a recruiter who was, I guess, a technical recruiter, but they weren't, um, you know, they were a recruiter. They weren't in tech specifically. And they asked me about my career goals. And when I said that I saw myself in, they asked me like long-term career goals too, not just what do you see yourself in a year? I said, I saw myself managing engineering teams and being like a technical leader and acknowledging that like I was excited for the role because it gave me the opportunity to continue to build my technical background. And they didn't move me forward because they said I was too focused on the future and not focused enough on the now and that I needed to be more prepared about the role coming up. So, you know, Lauren, you (laughs) probably just dodged a bullet. I wouldn't. I agree. But being prepared with like knowing what you want and what the company is looking for is so crucial because I might have tailored my answer differently had I known more of what he was looking for, or if I had better researched the screening process, I feel like. Oh, that's a good point. Because um, I had mentioned some management experience in one of my more recent interviews. And the hiring manager's manager, who I also interviewed with, was like, hey, do you know, this is not a manager role, it's an individual contributor role. And I was like, yeah, Mm. that's kind of why I want this role, because I don't like being a manager. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I completely agree that like sometimes talking about your previous experience can make them question whether or not you actually want that role. So, yeah, you have to definitely make sure that you're you know what the role is and that you act like you want it and say the right things to make them think that you want it. With that being said, sometimes the timeline can be pretty tight. So if you're about to jump into the interview process, you probably want to have done your research in advance. You don't want to wait until you have an interview with the company necessarily to start researching some of these questions. So you can look up that specific company and find which questions they're going to ask. But in general, there's 
a cracking the coding interview book that has a list of hundreds of some of the most common computer science interview questions. There's also lists of the most common cybersecurity interview questions that you should make sure that you have nailed down. And something that I did in all of my interviews was I tried to record every question I was asked so that even if I didn't get it right in that interview, if I found out the right answer in that interview, then I could use that answer to help me in my next interview somewhere else. So the more times you interview with companies, usually they'll ask you a question and then they might tell you the answer or what they were looking for. So you can use those interview experiences to learn and to get better. Yeah, You, you mean your crippling anxiety, Christine, didn't force your brain to remember what you got wrong? <laughs> I... um. I actually had an interview for a job that I didn't get, oh. and I went over every question with one of my really close friends right after the interview because he did get the job, and he was really confused about why I didn't get the job, so it did make me feel a lot better that he thought my answers were good. I think sometimes when you don't get the role, it's kind of like, maybe it wasn't meant to be. Maybe I dodged a bullet. I think looking back at team fit, he interviewed for a different team than me. And he was a really good fit for that team. And the team that I interviewed yeah. for, which I thought I really wanted to be on, I probably wasn't actually a very good fit for. So kind of happy that I didn't get that job. So yeah, for a phone screening, normally it's a call with a recruiter to figure out which roles might be the right fit for you based on your experience. So you want to know the experience and what you're looking for in a role. This is where preparation from our earlier episode in the interviewing mini series comes into play. So check those out. Is the role for this company a good fit for you? You want to have salary expectations. You want to have your number in mind just in case they ask that. Don't know your number? Check out our next episode on hacking the negotiation with Lauren and Christine to learn how to come up with that. They go over that in depth. You want to know their interview process by the end of the call. You want to have an overview of the interview process, the specific next steps, timelines, and turnarounds. And you want to be prepared to talk timelines. Are you interviewing elsewhere? They might ask that. What does your calendar look like for the next few weeks? You want to make sure you have that available too. Oh, yeah. And if you have any other offers on the table, they might ask you about that. So be prepared 100%. to tell them about your other offers. Yeah. So after you have a phone screening with a recruiter, um, a company might also do a technical screener. And this is normally a phone call with a technical person in the company where they just ask you a few basic technical questions and they talk about your technical experience. In my experience, they either tend to be um, solely focused on your technical experience or very general and generic technical knowledge. So it's hard to kind of know what to prepare for. So my suggestion is just to prepare for both. And one of the best ways that you can do that is to know your resume. This is so important. You have to be prepared to talk about anything on your resume. Interviewers can and will ask you guys about it. and. Just like an interview would put people on the spot, Rebecca and Christine, do you guys have any examples of not being prepared to talk about your resume? Like right now? <laughs> Other than right now? No, I don't, I don't have any. Christine, did you? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I have examples of, I ask people questions when they put something on their resume because I want to know if they've 
actually use that tool. Um, so something that I ask for anybody who writes Ida Pro on their resume is what's your favorite Ida hotkey? Because there's a difference between I've opened Ida Pro before and I actually use Ida Pro and do reverse engineering. So that's one of my main questions because if you have used Ida before and you actually use it in an active workflow, you know your hotkey. <laughs> so, <laughs> what a tricky, tricky question. Um, yeah, that's one of my tricky questions. So now I'm giving myself away. If I ever give you a reverse engineering interview, that's a, a tip or hack. <laughs> know your favorite Ida Pro hotkey. Well, yeah. it sounds like you guys are much better interviewees than I am because when I was first interviewing, I got on a technical screener and I have a lot of stuff on my um my resume and I had been interviewing so I was familiar with it but I didn't know every line on there and as we're in this technical screener the interviewer asked me oh so what's your favorite concept from domain-driven design and even the that big book and I read it I've read the whole thing oh my gosh that I read the whole thing and I gave a presentation on it and that's what I had on my resume and that's what he was referencing and in that moment everything went out of my brain just it was all gone and I had gone to an architectural conference about it too. All of the answers were gone, but I was sitting in my office and wouldn't you know, I just pulled up the book and started flipping through it and I put myself on mute so he couldn't hear the pages turning. And as soon as I saw it, it came back to me, but it was like, wow, I should have had an answer prepared for that because that is a big thing that people like to talk about in technical coding interviews. I should have known. <laughs> yeah. And then to be fair, anxiety and nerves can really creep mm -hmm. up even in this early of a stage for especially with the technical interviewing. But that's why it's just so important to to be prepared um, and to be kind of rehearsed mm -hmm. in the answers, like the story that is your resume, the story of your journey through yeah. tech. Oh, yeah. I remember my first phone screen ever where I was asked a technical question and I was completely unprepared because I just had no idea what the interview process would look like. And they asked me, what's the difference between global and local variables in C? And I was freaking out because I was like, I have no idea. Some are used globally and some are used locally. Like, what does that even mean? So my mind is racing and I'm thinking about you know, what they are and how they work. And I was like, okay, well, local variables are used within a function and global variables can be referenced from any function. And then they were like, okay, and where in memory yep. are they stored? And then I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no, I have no idea. And out of nowhere, I don't know where this answer came from. It was like, God, gave me the solution because I literally don't remember learning this in class. <laughs> I just said, well, global variables are stored on the heap and local variables are stored on the stack. And then they were like, perfect answer. And in my, I, my heart is racing because I was like, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> well, that's, and that's a question that I ask all the time now, because that is such an important concept in reverse engineering, but I didn't really know it when I first graduated college. Mm. Well, some of the ways you can kind of prepare like the brain fart moment or prepare for that, because I think you guys make a great point that it does, it does happen. We get nervous and things mess up and fall out of our brain or it's somewhere in our brain, but we just don't know how to access it. I think preparing one or two things that you're really proud of to brag about and just practicing them over and over, uh, practice 
answering those things concisely and hitting on why you made the decision, your involvement, and then like why it was important, why you're proud of it. And then in addition, just brushing up on those general knowledge questions. Like I think it's safe to assume that almost at any level of interviewing, somebody is going to ask you about data structures. They're going to ask you maybe about object-oriented programming if you're more on the coding side. If you're interviewing for a very specific language or a very specific tool, they might ask you some key concepts or they might ask you what your favorite hotkey is. One thing that completely slipped my mind when I left college was runtime complexities. I totally forgot about big O, big theta, like all of those different notations and what they mean. So just brushing up on things that you knew at one point, but you might not be as fresh on now. Yeah. And also if you list any certificates on the resume, be sure as an interviewer, they're going to ask you some of the questions from those. So any comp, CompTIA certificates, your SEC plus, like we want to ask you questions to make sure, like we understand we can, we can verify that you got the certificate, but we're definitely going to quiz you on some of those questions. So be prepared to also speak to that. Yeah, I would say put classes that you're proud of and put projects that you're proud of on your resume, because when you give an interview, an interviewer is going to be able to tell if you're passionate or not about a topic. And wouldn't you rather talk about something that you've really enjoyed doing rather than the project that you hated the most? Absolutely. Yeah. So think about like, you know, a project that you really loved that you got to work on with your friends or something, a class that had a really inspiring teacher that you really like, because that will help you retain the material so much better and you'll get so much more in depth than other things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so now I'll jump into what a take-home assessment looks like. Not all interviews will give you a take-home assessment, but sometimes certain interviews will. It's usually an online take-home test that they have you do on your own time over the course of a week or so. Um, sometimes it might be timed, especially if it's a coding challenge. They might only give you a couple hours to access it. Uh, so it really just depends. You definitely want to make sure that you're clear on the rules of the assignment and you want to talk to the recruiter or the hiring manager or the interviewer before you get it so that you know exactly what you're getting into. Uh, the first question would be, what requirements are there for this assignment in terms of system requirements? Because if there's a specific coding language like C or C++, you'll need to make sure that you can compile it. If they're doing it on some online system, do you need a certain browser to connect to it? And you should ask them about the rules of engagement in terms of are you allowed to use Google or get help from the internet while you're doing the assignment or do they want you to do it completely on your own? But you don't want to go into this never having done any type of take-home test before. So you definitely want to look up practice take-home problems. For coding interviews, these are super common and you can use things like Leak Code to get your skills up. But for cybersecurity jobs, these are usually longer and more complex. So you'll either get a binary for some type of reversing challenge. Um, they might give you a ponable, which is a poning challenge, or they'll give you a problem that is something similar to what you would have to do on the job. So that is like very specific to what the company does, what the type of tech stack that company uses, and what you're going to have to be doing. Um, I've been given PCAPs before. <laughs> um, so you have to have Wireshark for that, obviously. But if you've never used Wireshark before, then you might not know how to open that. So you definitely want to be prepared to handle exactly what you've been given. Okay, question for you guys. Have you ever had any unique or interesting take-homes? I have one, but I want to hear what you guys say first. 
So I did have um, a reversing slash exploitation problem where I was given a binary and I had to reverse the binary and figure out what it did and then give a one hour technical interview on the different ways that I was able to exploit the binary. So this was actually pretty interesting because I had interviewed for an iOS reverse engineering role and they gave me an ARM ELF binary, which is a different platform. Um, so iOS is obviously also ARM, but it's Mach O as a platform and not ELF. So I definitely thought it was a little odd that they gave me a, a different platform to reverse engineer and exploit. But basically they were like, oh, you don't even have to run this binary. We just want to know what you found. So I was given a binary and a PCAP um, to understand how the protocol works and then I had to let them know of it, all the different types of exploits that could potentially happen with this binary. Yeah. Interesting. See, if I had been in your shoes, actually I had a similar experience not for cyber but for software where I was interviewing for more of a back-end role and they sent me a front-end test and I before I took it had a complete and total meltdown because I'm not a front-end engineer. I don't that's not my skill set and I was almost crying on the floor of the bathroom like I'm going to fail this. This is going to be so bad. And so I emailed the recruiter and was like, um, you know, I, I'm interviewing for a back end role. Just want to make sure this was the right test. And they emailed me back and were like, oh, no, you shouldn't have gotten this one. Um, oh you gosh. need to take a different test. And that <gasps> saved my life oh, wow. because I would have I would have melted down. I, I wouldn't have done it. It would have been embarrassing for me to take well, up my level in the career. And then the back end test, I had to write two emails about like a troubleshooting problem. And that was just that was weird because it was a 45 minute test and trying to type up two emails like a normal person while I'm knowing that I'm going to be judged on the language of my emails. Mm-hmm. Like I, it, for, I can't write two very thoughtful troubleshooting detailed emails of 45 minutes. Like I reread it. I go back through, I edit my work. And it was one of those where they're recording your screen the whole time. They don't just see what you submit. So it's like, I was very self-consciously typing up emails and it was a very fun interview but it was almost more stressful than trying to solve a coding problem because I also had to be nice I couldn't just be like do xyz I had to be like hey Cheryl thank you for your interest like have you tried this please feel free to reach out <laughs> oh that's a really good point about rules of engagement sometimes they will record your screen so if you're not supposed to be using google they'll actually know yes. what you've searched and stuff yeah. like that um, so you definitely want to be clear on what you're allowed to do because you could probably be immediately disqualified if you do something you're not supposed to. I've also had a computer crash during uh, one of these interviews. And so I was had... It your, was it your computer, Lauren? It was my... Yeah, it was my mm -hmm. like... It was my like 10-year-old <laughs> computer. And that you used to use for this this podcast and you no longer use for this podcast. That's that I used to That I used to use. The shade. That, you know, I'm, I'm sure my Google Chrome was probably also 10 years out of date as well. <laughs> and the browser was so bad. The browser, right. No, but course. it crashed and I had to restart it, reboot. And then I told my recruiter, hey, just so you know, like I'm restarting this and it let me pick up, but... I did have these technical difficulties. So if something happens to you or something weird happens while you're taking a take home, 
you definitely want to mark it down and just kind of follow up on it because sometimes those things do happen, but it's important to know the rules and the requirements in advance so you can minimize the disruption for those things. So if you are allowed open internet or open book, you probably want to have those materials available to you because you don't want to be like frantically trying to find which folder on your computer you save the PDF of some book while you're trying to finish some timed exam. So just kind of get your materials in order before the interview so that you feel a little more calm because you have prepared in advance. You should definitely do practice problems in advance. I can't emphasize enough attempting leak code. Even if you're not going to do a programming interview, sometimes it just helps to do some interview problems to get in that interviewing mindset. Yeah, cool. Okay. So once you've passed your screeners, uh, generally a company will bring you in for face-to-face interviews where you are, whether you're virtual or in person, you're interviewing with prospective teammates, maybe hiring managers, coworkers, and we call them face-to-face because you'll either be in person talking to somebody or you'll have a cameras on interview where you can actually see people learn more about the role, and it'll be more interactive. There might be some screen sharing. There might be some whiteboarding. And the goal of these interviews is for you as the interviewee to show that you're the right fit for the role. And then you'll probably be evaluated on the way you handle the interviews as a whole. It's not just about getting to the right answer. It's about like the whole presence of interviews. And generally, if you've made it this far, it's not just one more interview. It's generally a group of interviews. They might all be on the same day. They might be spaced out over a few days, depending on your schedule and the um, interviewer's schedule. So there are a lot of different interviews that we're going to go over. We're just going to go through them one at a time and kind of start with a high level. Then we'll walk through kind of the best ways to prepare and then how to actually handle the interview day of. So, as I said, sometimes it's not necessarily about getting to the right answer, and one of the best interviews that doesn't really have a right answer is what I like to call the product or design or the whiteboarding session. This tends to be an optional one. Um, It's not always present in every face-to-face section, but I've, I've seen it much more frequently recently. And these whiteboarding or design sessions are interviews with support teams to kind of give you an overview of the project. And they're generally more interactive and you're expected to ask about the project and potentially contribute to the design. So that means that they are very hard to prepare for because they are so inter- interactive and you don't necessarily know what the problem is going to be before you go in. So the best way to prepare is just to practice. If you're going to be going through a design or a whiteboard, my advice is just to pick an everyday system and try to walk through modeling it. It could be something super simple of like, how would you model a car dealership? How would you design Instagram if you were going to be designing it? You can start really high level. You can practice talking out loud. You can practice drawing things. But the point of this practice is really to get ideas flowing and for you to get your thoughts out and practice communicating those thoughts to others and to your interviewers. Have either of you guys done any of these uh, product or designing whiteboard sessions? I have not. I have only done practice whiteboarding sessions Yeah, back when I was in college or career center. 
had someone from Google come in and they were an alumni of my school. And so you could sign up to do a practice whiteboarding interview. So I I did that. And mm-hmm. I didn't really enjoy the experience because I didn't. <laughs> I don't think it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. But. I didn't want to be a software engineer yeah. either. So I kind of just did it because I was yeah. you know, practicing interviews and trying to learn how, like, how to do an interview. Mm-hmm. I think there are websites that you can sign up for that will let you do practice whiteboarding interviews with like volunteer or paid professionals from those companies. Yeah. No, also YouTube has a bunch of different, um, what's the term? I guess influencers who will walk through doing different types of whiteboarding sessions as well. So the internet is definitely a great resource for that. Yeah, I think some of these tips for whiteboarding can just be really helpful for Mm -hmm. any technical question, even if it's not necessarily a whiteboarding question. Like I had a question that was supposed to assess my creativity related to like red teaming and hacking. They asked how I could hack a vending machine, (laughs) uh, just kind of like off the cuff. Mm -hmm. And so I had to think about like all the different attack vectors. Um, Something that helped me was just kind of talking out loud because a lot of these questions like you said Lauren don't have a right answer and they just want to know your thought process so they want to know how creative you're going to be in the interview and everything you're thinking about and maybe the different avenues you might travel down and then they might riff off of things that you say so I think I said what does the vending machine take credit card or take cash And then they were like, great question. Let's say it takes credit card. How would you hack it? And then so like they just, you know, you kind of build off of that. And then I was like, oh, does it have an internet connection? And Mm -hmm. then they're like, let's say it does. And then, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, I think that I I think that's the point of the design and whiteboarding sessions is to really like, it's not so much, oh, I, you know, there are a hundred ways to hack this vending machine and Christine must get 80 of them to pass or whatever, right? It's, I think a lot of times they're evaluating your critical thinking skills and how you think, how you ask questions, how you interact with the team. So it is so important to talk aloud and build off of what your interviewer is giving you and not being afraid to ask questions because sometimes these interviews are intentionally vague or intentionally like high scope. And so it can be really hard to know how to answer. But if you just start chipping away at the problem slowly, like what you were just saying, Christine, then you can kind of get more and more answers and start coming up with solutions. And I know that can be kind of frustrating to not have everything all at once, but it's important to know like this is kind of the purpose of the interview. So if you feel yourself getting frustrated, try to take a step back, maybe count to three in your head. You can even say out loud, I need a minute to think. I'm going to try to think through XYZ. And then you can come back and ask more questions um, and do things like that. Some things that help me sometimes. If I'm getting frustrated or I feel like I'm missing something, I will rephrase the problem back to the interviewer in my own words. And a lot of times that can be very helpful because it's stalling. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm stalling, but also I might say it in a way, the way that I've interpreted it, that is completely different than what the interviewer intended. And they can kind of correct you and steer you on course or be like, oh, that's an interesting way to think about that. Let's talk to, let's talk about that. So it's really, I think more of a collaborative process. And that's actually why I really enjoy these design interviews because you never know what you're going to get. It's nerve wracking, but it can be so much fun at the same time. So for a panel or a one-on-one technical interview, 
These are normally conducted by a technical lead or teammates for the project or team that you're going to be assigned to. So expect to answer a few technical questions and talk about your resume. So to prepare for this, you want to read over your resume. This is your the story of your technical experience. So we're adding this again, foot stomping this because it is really important. So if you have any programming languages on there, any certificates, any projects that you've done, you know, be expected to answer some questions or potentially do some code review or be asked specific questions to what you have on your resume. They're going to test you because lying on your resume looks really, really bad. You do not want to be found out as a liar or someone who just kind of fluffed their resume. That doesn't bode well for you. Oh, yeah. So in my first ever interview for a cyber role, they asked me if I knew what Ida Pro was. And I was honest with them. I said I'd never heard of it. But because I said I knew assembly, they were like, oh, you should be able to read this. And so they showed me some assembly in Ida Pro. And luckily, I had a professor that really hammered home assembly. So even though I'd never used Ida Pro before, I could read assembly. So it would have been super embarrassing if I'd either lied and said that I did know what IDAPRO was and put it on my resume. Do not lie. Or said I had known assembly and didn't know assembly. Yeah. And also, you know, do your research. Again, many companies have their own interview questions or types of interview questions out there. So it's really important to do this research. You want to know the types of questions, languages, tools the company uses for the interview. A lot of the time it's posted on the job requisition. That's true. A good way to figure out what questions are going to be asked in the interview is to read the requisition and any tools that they name. You don't obviously have to know all the tools because a lot of job requisitions list a bunch of things, but you should know a few things listed in the requisition. So highlight those things in the requisition that you know about and be prepared to give them an example of a project you've Mm -hmm. worked on. Like if you've used Wireshark before and it says Wireshark in the requisition, have a story prepared for Wireshark. Beautiful. And if they ask you about a PCAP, make sure to mention Wireshark, something like that. Usually the technical interviewer is going to ask you questions related to projects that they're working on. So they might have a specific project in mind that they're looking for your role to fill. So they might ask you, have you ever done this with this language? So if you say that you know Python, they might say, oh, have you ever written Python bindings for a certain language? And you can be honest about things that you haven't done before because then they might just, you know, dig into how you might approach something that you've never done because they're Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how would they work with you as a teammate in a real situation. Yeah. And you can also use the opportunity to say, well, you know, I actually haven't done this specifically, but I've done this, which is similar and related. And I think it might translate like you can use you can use a negative or a lack of experience to kind of pivot to talk about what you have done and make it a two way dialogue on I think this would be relevant to what you're posting for and how that ties back if if applicable, I guess. What are some technical questions you've been asked in a SOC interview, Rebecca? Oh, in a SOC interview? That was like my first job with my first interview. So they asked me a lot of like CompTIA sec plus questions. What port does SSH run on? <laughs> yeah, like, Stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, know your know the basics of your ports. They might say the protocol and then ask you what the port is, or they might ask what the port is and ask you for the protocol. So this might be kind of a naive question, but keep in mind I am coming from more of a software background and most of my cyber application is or cyber experience is keeping applications safe. So most of my interviews have been mostly focused on coding. Is our cyber interviews, when you get to this one-on-one or the panel, are they more questions and back and forth? Because it 
this stage for a software, it would be you're given one problem with one or two people for 40 minutes and you're just writing code for the entire time and you're praying to God that it runs and compiles at the end. But it sounds like cyber might be a little bit different. Yeah. In the sense that there's like there's more going on than just the one problem, even though you're like software, I'm interacting back and forth. It's not just sitting in silence for 45 minutes, but it sounds like you have many more questions and many more things you're talking about than just one high level solve this coding problem. Yeah, the only time I've ever spent the entire time talking about one thing was when I was given that specific binary. Mm -hmm. And then I had to spend the entire time talking about that binary. But like they were asking, you know, what are some network exploitation things? What are some heap exploitation things? Like what are some stack exploits? Like basically asking me to identify all the different types of vulnerabilities within that binary. So it's Mm -hmm. more than just one coding problem. Um, Normally, when I give an interview, I'll ask questions like related to global and local stack variables. I'll ask about the difference between TCP and UDP. I'll ask uh, what their favorite hotkey is in IDA. I'll ask, you know, just things that not super rapid fire, but like trying to touch on things that they've listed on their resume so that I can hear about a technical problem Mm -hmm. that they've done. Um, I definitely value people who are interested in the mechanism of how things work more than people that just use the tool. So like we've had interviews where I can tell that somebody is just pressing buttons on the keyboard and trying to like get a shell in Metasploit and they don't really care about the underlying mechanism of how Metasploit works versus somebody who maybe took apart Metasploit and tried to like write their own POC and ran into some type of technical problem Mm -hmm. and then figured out a way to surpass it. That's somebody who like I would rather work with because I know that in the real world, you always get stuck on some type of engineering problem. So you want those people who are going to persevere even if they like don't have the answer right away. Yeah. And and I think also when you're being asked questions like a lot of these problems or questions may be vague. So if, if you're kind of struggling with something, you can maybe return, ask some questions back, like, okay, like what Christine mentioned before. So, oh, does the vending machine have credit card or cash? And sometimes it can give you some time to kind of readjust and give you some processing time to maybe come up with some kind of answer as well. Yeah. The behavioral interview normally happens either in a separate one-on-one interview or it's it happens with each one-on-one interview in your panel or in your series of one-on-ones and they'll ask you some behavioral questions at the end. So you should be prepared to answer general behavior questions. They're usually not necessarily company specific and it'll be things like, why do you want to work here? Why are you looking to change roles or what are you looking for in a new role? They might also ask you questions that are a little bit uncomfortable to answer. Like, tell me about a time when you didn't get along with a teammate or tell me about a time when you were on a project that didn't go well. And so one of my biggest pieces of advice during this type of behavioral interview is you want to act positive. (laughs) So you don't want to be like, I worked with so-and-so and he was the worst and we all hated him. <laughs> like, don't say yeah. that. That or, reflects on you. Yeah. You know. It does. Yeah. Or or don't say something like, well, I want to leave my team because uh, the work is really boring and the team doesn't get along with me. Or like, I don't like the people on the team. Everybody hates me. <laughs> Yeah, they kind of they kind of want to see that you have some self-awareness and mm-hmm. that you can interact with adults professionally and maturely. That's going to be something that you need to display. 
there is always a way to positively word it. Yes. You can't say, oh, I'm looking to change roles because I'm looking for a new challenge, a new opportunity, and I want to do X, Y, Z, you know? Like, you can always put a positive spin. You don't have to lie, but you can just say, you know, there was a time where a teammate and I didn't see eye to eye. We both felt very passionately about it. And, you know, that was a real challenge. But I think the biggest thing when you're answering those questions with that positive attitude is you don't want to ramble on and you always want to have a point to the story you're telling, which is why I really like to use the STAR method, S-T-A-R. And for those of you who aren't familiar, it stands for situation, task, action, result. So the idea here is you set the situation, you say what was required of you, the task that you had to do, you say the specific action that you took because they're interviewing you, they're not, they don't care what your team did, they want to know about you as an individual, and then you need to speak to the result that you achieved from that action. So yeah, definitely take time to answer the questions too. Don't be afraid to take some time to think about it before answering. Mm -hmm. And like Lauren and Rebecca said, don't lie. So if you've never had an issue with a coworker, don't make up some story where you're the hero (laughs) because then you'll just ramble on. It'll be like really long-winded and it won't make sense. And they might be able to tell that you're not being genuine. So don't feel pressured. Like I think I've had situations where I'm like, I don't think I've ever experienced that. And they're okay with that. They like they have a list of questions that they're probably not going to get to in the interview. So instead of trying to answer something that you can't answer, just tell them that you don't have an answer and then they can ask you something you can answer. Mm-hmm. And also when you're speaking, slow down. When we're nervous, we tend to speak very quickly or talk for too long and say too many things. So try to speak at a normal cadence and end your sentences deliberately. It also actually makes you less anxious because sometimes the main reason why we're speaking too quickly is because we want to just get the situation over with as soon as possible. So we're like, if we just talk as fast as I can, they understand though that you're nervous, especially if this is your entry-level position, even if it's not an entry-level position, that we, as an interviewer, as an interviewee, like there's an understanding that there are some nerves involved. But just like 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 you do with any kind of like public speaking, just practice deliberately saying what you're going to say and just taking some breaths and do some mindfulness while you while you do it. That's my advice to you. Oh, and if you're an interviewer, don't say don't be nervous because that actually makes me nervous. <laughs> it's like yeah. I wasn't until you said that. Okay. One time, and this is another interview that I thought the interview day went really well. I felt really confident about what I had given. There were a few questions that I answered that were a little like cattywampus, a little long-winded, but but I felt like I put my best foot forward and it was completely virtual. It was my first real virtual interview and I, I felt really good coming out of it. You know, I had, I'm a critical person, so I had critiques for myself, but when I got the call saying I didn't get it, the primary feedback was, oh, you seem too nervous. <gasps> You're kidding me. What? I'm like, you can't. I I have many thoughts on that, but that was one of it is you seem too nervous. And because of that, we don't think you're technical enough. Like you were seem nervous about what you knew or what you didn't know. And ultimately glad I didn't end up there because that would have been not the right fit if they were judging me based on the way I was answering or the way my body was moving. But I was just so taken back. Like, what does that even mean? You're too nervous. Ugh. Rebecca, have you ever been told that you aren't technical enough after an interview? So I've never been told this. Hey. 
I was told that after an interview. And I think it's really interesting that like two out of three of us have been told that. I think that's something that just happens to women and is very common. And it's not specific, you know, it's just you're not technical enough. It's not, oh, Christine, you didn't do well in this reverse engineering problem because you didn't know this specific technology and you missed however many points. Like I understand sometimes interviewer feedback has to be vague, but If you're going to say that somebody is not technical enough, you at least need to be able to give an example to back it up. Like, oh, Lauren, you fundamentally misused this key concept of the language. Therefore, we don't think you're technical enough. Otherwise, it is just masquerading sexism, in my opinion. (laughs) Right. My I completely agree because this one job that I I didn't get and that my friend had had the same interview for the one that I went over my interview with him when I told him they said I was not technical enough. He was like, based on everything that you've just told me, you reverse this binary better than me. You thought of way more attack vectors than I did. The only thing that was different about our interviews was the hiring manager Mm. and the team leader. Yep. So... You know, on his team, the interview that he gave was technical enough. But for some reason on the team that I interviewed with, it was considered not technical enough. I don't know if it was because I was a female or if it was just that person, but it was definitely super frustrating for me. And it was a hard pill to swallow for to hear Mm -hmm. that from somebody. But you don't have to internalize it just because somebody says it to you. Yeah, I definitely talked to my co-hosts and I talked to my friends and I had them help me rebuild my (laughs) self-esteem after that interview because I was really upset. And just because you don't get a job doesn't mean that you're not good enough. Just move on to the next one. Thank you, next. Thank you, next. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And not technical enough is actually something that we talk about on our Glue Tasks episode. So if you haven't listened to that one, definitely give it a listen. And it also gives some tips and tricks on how to change the perception of yourself without actually changing what you're doing. Um, So definitely give that a listen if you feel like you're stuck in a rut of not technical enough. Yeah. And it also, I mean... If you're not technical enough, maybe the position requires like a higher level of expertise that you don't have. Maybe you don't have the skill set you need to get up to speed quickly on the project. So maybe in all honesty, it's not necessarily a bad thing when you don't get a job because maybe you don't have the knowledge and you wouldn't even be happy in the position anyway. Maybe you wouldn't be able to get a lot of help. Maybe there wouldn't be a lot of resources. Maybe there's a quick timeline that maybe you wouldn't be able to catch up to. So, I mean, there's lots of reasons and it's just a way to reframe not getting something. It's not really a failure. It's just one like part of the journey of getting the career. And also remember, you are interviewing the company as much as they are interviewing you. So a good interviewer should leave you time at the end to ask questions. And this is your chance to learn more about the company and get a feel for the people in the role. So we've prepared a list of questions for you to ask in case you can't think of any. The first thing you might want to ask is, Ask them to tell you more about the role that you're applying for. What does it entail? What does your day-to-day look like? Yeah. And another thing you might want to ask are what the advancement opportunities look like. So what would your career trajectory look like at this company? Is there growth potential in your role? And I think it's important to ask too, once you know where the growth potentials are, you need to ask about how you get there. So you could ask something like, what does success look like at this company and what does it take to be successful here? Now I have something a little controversial that mm. I am going to share. So something that I usually ask, if my interview panel or series of one-on-ones doesn't include a woman, 
which face it, it usually doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. I will ask to talk to a woman in the role. And I will usually ask about the percentage of women within the organization, within the team and within the company. And more often than not, I've turned down jobs that don't have a very high percentage of women. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that a lot of people listening are going to think, what am I looking for? 50%. And my current team actually has 50% women. There's only four people, but it is 50% (laughs) women. (laughs) Um, And that was a a major reason that I, I took the role. I really like the fact that there would be 50% women on the team. I don't like roles where I'm going to be the only woman Mm -hmm. at the company or on the team. And part of it is because I know it's important for us as women to lay the foundation for other women. And sometimes you do have to be the first woman, but that's a lot to take on. Being the only woman is a lot of emotional labor and There are just certain things that you feel when you're the only woman, you might feel like you're talked down to or not given enough credit. And I've done that for most of my career. So with this, with my most recent role, I decided that I didn't really want to want to do that anymore. But also, I think that if companies don't have a lot of women, that just makes me question their effort in hiring because there are tons and tons of women in our field. We shouldn't continually be the only women in the room. Yeah. So Yeah, and, and they and they are technical enough. Yes. Exactly. They are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I agree with you, Christine. I ask this every time I interview. Um I always want to speak to a woman and you know sometimes I hear what you're saying. Like, it is exhausting sometimes to be the only woman. I think a caveat to that for me is if I talk to people in leadership and I bring up my concerns, um, sometimes I'll even ask about diversity and inclusion. And I usually ask that as well. If I feel like the company, like if they give me the answer I'm looking for and it feels like they're actually passionate about it, not just saying what they need to say so like they don't violate any hiring laws or anything like that, then I will probably be more likely to consider a role where I might be the only woman or there's fewer women in the company. But it's you really have to come in with these questions and be prepared to keep following up on that so that you can get the vibe check on the company to make sure it's a place that you will feel welcome and you will feel safe. And you can do that really for anything that's really important to you. Maybe it's uh, parental leave. Maybe it's about LGBTQ plus inclusion and diversity. Maybe it's about race. It's all it's all these different things. And that's why you have to have this list of questions so that you're in a role that you're safe. A hundred percent. I just, Christine, I really like your approach of just blazingly asking, can I talk to a woman in the role? Because like I've asked about diversity, but to just like go ahead and say, okay, well, can I speak to a woman in the role? I think that's just- That's like one of my- Yeah, it's kind of one of my tricks because the thing is, (laughs) if you ask to speak to a woman in the company, like they could find any woman anywhere, you know, they could just- you're setting yourself up to get her opinion like of of the company from a woman's perspective and i think that is so important and it also knowing how long it takes them to find a woman is a very yes. good barometer oh because gosh, a trick <laughs> it, yeah i mean yes. i'm not trying to be sneaky but like if it takes them forever to find a woman then you know like how many women work there I mean, it tells you everything you need to exactly. know exactly so it's it's just yeah. a way to 
figure out what you're getting into and understanding the lay of the land. I mean, and to, and to come off of that too, one thing I like to ask is, you know, what does your interviewer like about the company? Because it kind of puts them on spot to kind of come up with something to say yeah. and to even go further with that. What is one thing that the interviewer would change if they were able to? I love that question because they have to come up with something. And, you know, and it's very telling. Yes. When, yeah. Whatever they come up with, or whatever they say, it's very telling. If they have nothing to me, that just seems unprepared. There's got to be something. Yeah. Right. And generally it's like, or, or they're lying to you. <laughs> interviewers shouldn't lie either. Or it's like the grievance that's at the top of their head, which is also just interesting because then you can kind of learn about the yes. person you're talking to. Because, you know, sometimes you might learn about the company. Sometimes you might be like, wow, this man interviewing me is incredibly petty that he cares about the quality of paper towels in the bathroom or something. I don't know. I just made that up. But it, it gives you insight in multiple different levels. And once you kind of know more about the company... Then I like to dive into the role and ask questions such as, what are the expectations of the role? And I want to make sure they align with my interests because I don't know if this ever happened to you guys where the job posting says something completely different. And then you get into the interview with the actual hiring manager and they're like, yeah, we're expecting you to write code 100% of the time. Oh, except for the fact that you have to do X, Y, and Z with your job. And really, it's mostly production support, and you won't be writing any code or delivering new features. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Sometimes I'll ask, what does a typical day look like? Or what is my work breakdown? Because for me, I want a reverse engineering role. But sometimes when you're doing reverse engineering, you still have to write a little bit of software. So I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. what's the percentage of time that I'm spending reversing versus writing software? Because my first job, even though the reversing part of the interview was really heavy, the actual role itself required very little reverse engineering. So it was <laughs> no. a little bit of a bait and switch. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, no, I I've heard that like the interview is harder than the actual job. Yeah. Process. Yeah. That's like a joke in our community. Yeah. So I, I yeah. ended up switching roles because I was like, well, I want to do reverse engineering. And I was, I thought that that's what the job was going to be since we spent <laughs> most of the interview doing that. So yeah, that's definitely asking about percent breakdown is super helpful in that regard. Yeah. And another question to kind of caveat off of that, you, you want to know if, if it's going to be like a project-based company or even if it's operations, sometimes they have projects. Can you tell me more about the project I'm going to be on and what other projects has the interviewer worked on? Because then you can also kind of get an idea of what other opportunities are available mm -hmm. at the company as well. Definitely. And I kind of, my like brutally honest question about projects, expectations, everything, I just straight up ask like, what do your hours look like? And do you have an on-call schedule? Because I want to know if the team is a nine to five, if they're a 10 to six, or if they're like a 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. I need to make sure that culturally, like that's a good fit for me. And then if they also have an on-call schedule, I want to know what that looks like because I don't want to be getting called at 2 a.m. on Christmas day because something is broken. And the expectation is I spend my whole holiday or my whole vacation fixing something. Um, so I'm doing that to see if it's a good work-life balance for me. Oh, yeah. Knowing if you have an on-call schedule is really important for what you want in your career and what you want work-life balance-wise. 
Something that I also ask, and again, maybe this is a little bit of a sneaky question, but instead of asking the hiring manager like, oh, will you pay for professional training like at Black Hat or DEF CON or something? I'll ask one of the technical interviewers, somebody who would be my teammate, hey, what's the last professional training that you attended? Because it's one thing if the hiring manager claims that they will send you whatever training they want, but your teammates and knowing what trainings they've actually done will give you an idea of what the real budget is and what they're actually allowed to do. So try to phrase your questions that way so that instead of setting the expectation like, oh, I want you to tell me this answer, you can just ask them a more open-ended question so that it's not leading them to tell you what you want to hear. 100%. Paid for training makes happy employees. And another sign of happy employees is something I like to ask is like, what's the attrition rate or turnover rate? Like, why is this role even open at all? Did someone leave the role or are they expanding? So that that will kind of give you an idea of, of whether it's through people leaving or through just the role itself expanding. Okay, so, you know, we've talked a lot about um, doing these specific interviews and how to handle very specific interviews. Now we just want to quickly run through the specific and general prep for day of and ways to just get yourself in the right mindset for interviews in general. And some of these may seem kind of obvious, but it's important just to be thinking about them and put in the extra effort because at the end of the day, you're interviewing because you want a new job. So take the extra five, 10 minutes to do these small things to really make your interview stand out. So whether you're flying out to an onsite interview or you're opening up your laptop for a virtual Zoom interview, a lot of these tips will kind of go for either of those. So we're going to give you a play-by-play of some rapid-fire tips. First, you want to check your interview schedule. Make sure that there's breaks built in, and if it doesn't, ask for some. If you have a full eight-hour day of interviews, you'll probably have to go to the bathroom. You'll probably want to have a snack or maybe have some coffee. So talk to them about what the interview schedule is. And if they haven't given you a break or offered you anything to drink, ask them. Yeah, that I think that is such a big one. And for me, kind of going off of that is also bringing in some of your own supplies if you're in person or even if you're in your desk at your office, at your house or sitting in a closet. I like to bring a water bottle. I like to bring like a little bag of nuts or a snack just because when I get nervous, I need a little bit of water. I need a little bit of carbs to just kind of boost me back up. I also like to have a pen and paper with me. I'm old school. I take hand notes. Sometimes some companies are kind of weird about letting you bring in notes or take notes in an interview. So they might not allow you to have it, but it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. And then another old school thing that I do is I always have a copy of my resume, whether it's printed if I'm in person or if it's virtual. I just think it's really helpful to have it up on the screen when I'm interviewing. So if somebody references something, I can look at the line and be like, okay, that's what you're talking about. Because sometimes people might reference things in their own words and you might not be able to immediately connect what they're talking about. I would also say make sure you keep yourself and your laptop charged. So get a good (laughs) night's sleep the night before and plug your laptop in. Or if you didn't plug it in the night before, plug it in during the interview so that it doesn't die right while you're waiting for your code to compile. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And and speaking of those pesky devices, make sure you silence them. Silence your phone. Silence your fitness watch. You don't want that going off and distracting you in the middle of your interview. Yeah. 
something else you should do is make sure your browser and Zoom are up to date, especially if you're doing a cybersecurity interview. If you're going to share your screen, you don't want to be embarrassed because your Google Chrome is telling you to update. <laughs> You've ignored it for the last six months. Yeah, Laura, that is, that is me. <laughs> Guil guilty. Guilty as charged. But the one thing I do, even though I don't update my browsers, which is bad, um, I do when I'm interviewing, I minimize everything that might be distracting. I pretty much only keep open like an IDE because I know I might have to write code. I keep up my terminal and then I keep up a generally like an empty browser window if I know I might be able to Google some things. Yeah. And have an appropriate desktop background, oh, guys. Yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. You know. Speaking of appropriate, what should you wear? Oh, God. So Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, whatever you want, Queen. <laughs> to me, it doesn't make a difference if I'm in person. Well, it does make a difference if I'm in person and virtual, because if I'm in person, I will probably wear something nicer with heels or dress shoes. But I think you should still dress up if you're virtual, but dress appropriately for the company. You know, some companies, like if you're going to maybe a consulting company or a company that is, you know, is business formal, then you should wear a business formal outfit. If you're going to maybe more of a traditional tech company where people are in jeans and a t-shirt and are dressed in tech casual, you should probably still dress up in business casual, but you don't need to be in a full suit, if that makes sense. So I would say, I, I think I approached this very differently when I first graduated and even like my subsequent job interviews versus my more recent interviews post-COVID or not post-COVID, but I guess like, you know, post onset of COVID. So I used to really get dressed up for the interviews. Even if everybody else was in t-shirts and stuff, I would like wear a full suit mm -hmm. and, you know, just try to be really polished. Um, but my most recent interviews, I literally wore a t-shirt and yoga pants. <laughs> and I don't know if it's the, that's more of a remote role type of thing, but I knew that everybody else wears t-shirts and I was like, I think that if I dress up formally while interviewing with all of these other fully remote people who wear t-shirts every single day, I would feel very out of place and it would just make the vibe kind of awkward. So I picked out my favorite cyber t-shirt and just wore that. I feel like I go for the cute dress that's professional, but it's not stuffy. And then for the women listening or anyone who might have this problem, um, Think about the neckline if it's going to be virtual, because if you're going to be leaning over writing code or writing down something down, you don't want to accidentally lean forward and have your neckline kind of expose too much of your top. Um, maybe that's not something everybody thinks about. But that's, that's so something, conservative, Lauren. That's something that I have to think about. That is a problem that I have. And I have to be very careful because Lauren is very busty. I, I can very unintentionally flash people. And so that's no. the, but that is something to be mindful of, of like, are you going to have to move around on zoom? You want to make sure, or like, you know, some people were joking around or maybe this was real where they weren't wearing pants all the time on virtual <laughs> meetings. If you're going to move and accidentally expose yourself, make sure you're covered. That would be a dumb reason to not get a job. <laughs> I typically, I typically just wear like mock necks and blazers. That's my entire wardrobe. So yeah. that's, that's my little tidbit. Mine are bright colored clothes. 
Shocking, I know. Grays, blacks, <laughs> navies. Hot pinks, purples, blues. Deep browns. <laughs> One last quick thing is you probably want to write down your interviewer's name just so you remember mm. who you talked to and maybe you can follow up later. Yes. I also write down the phonetic of spelling of their name because some I, I'm very self-conscious about mispronouncing somebody's name. So I try to like make sure and repeat the pronunciation in my head. I don't know that that's something everybody needs to do, but that's like kind of my tip to make sure that I have somebody's name correct. So after the interview, you probably want to follow up about the timeline and next steps. Yeah. If you have contact information for the interviewers, email them with a highlight from the interview and thank them for their time. Yes, it really does go so far and it makes a lasting impression. But sometimes, you know, even if you make a lasting impression, you might not get the job. This is really tough, but... I think we can all say from experience, if you don't get the job, it probably is because the company wasn't the right fit for you at that time. So still say thank you. Be polite. You never want to burn any bridges. Or sexism. Yeah. <laughs> or sexism. Maybe the company did suck. Uh, but you never want to burn any bridges because you don't know how the role might change and evolve. You don't know how you'll change and evolve. And just because something wasn't the right fit for you then doesn't mean it couldn't be the right fit for you later. Yeah. If it was a really bad fit, maybe write that down on your list of notes of like, do not ever interview here again, whatever. And then ask for feedback. You know, they might not be able to give you a ton of it, but it's good for two reasons. One, it shows a growth mindset. And two, they might give you feedback that is really valuable. They might give you feedback that is complete trash and then you can just empty it out of your brain. But it could be something helpful that you could use down the line. Yeah, and if you do get the job, Congrats. Go listen to the next episode in our interviewing series, Hacking the Negotiation, where Christine and Lauren break down the negotiation process and help you get what you're worth. Thank you guys so much. I know we've covered a ton of topics today. We'll just leave you with our five big her hacks of acing the technical interview. Her hack number one, research. Research to learn about the company, learn about their interview process, and find common interview questions. Research is so important. Her hack number two, make sure you prepare for each interview. Prepare by doing practice problems, answering practice questions. Her hack one and her hack two really lay the foundation for you being successful in the interview. The third her hack is think star. That's the situation, task, action, and result. That will help you keep yourself concise and on topic, and it will help you feel confident about the answers you are giving throughout the entire interview process. Her hack number four, think out loud and ask clarifying questions because your thought process matters as much as the correct answer. Her hack number five, vibe check the company. You are interviewing them as much as they are interviewing you, and it is critical that you do as much discovery about the company while you're interviewing as you can. You want to know everything. Yeah. I mean, this is where you spend most of your time, your job. So you want to make sure that you like what you're doing and that you like the people you work with. And that there are women around. <laughs> yeah. So if you like this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us five stars, one for each of our lovely hosts. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Podcast. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover on the pod, send an email to hello at herhackspodcast.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at herhackspodcast.com.
Make sure to shout us out when you nail your technical interview. Leave a comment with your favorite interview questions. Until next time. I don't know if that was dumb. <laughs> oh, I love that. I it thought that was so, so cute. Good. It was so cute. And you didn't say Tic Tac, which I did last time. Oh my <laughs> God, I love you. <laughs> and... <laughs>